so we uh, we thought we'd do a little. It's been a big year for all of us. That'd be fun to get together, do a little celebration, a little recap. Um, we've how many collabs have we done? This is if we count this as an idea dinner, six Ooh. or seven of those. We've done a bunch of episodes. Let's see. Idea dinner. Have we done three idea dinners plus this? I think that's right. I think this is a fourth. Yeah. Okay. And then we did the Ethereum piece with Packy, the not boring story with Packy, the SBF interview with Mario. Was Slack 2020 or 2021? That was 2020. Oh, good point. Roblox DPO preview with Mario. With Mario. So that's eight just with acquired and then packy and mario you guys have done what three two. together two. Done two yeah all right that's so cool guys that's an even so 10. That. <laughs> it was an honor uh, really fun. and we're also fun we ben texted all of us before and asked if we wanted to have a drink on this and all of us said no in our own <laughs> way. <laughs> in our own way <laughs> david blamed mario, the, the baby and no sleep excuse. Yeah, I know, right? No, it's pathetic. It's just who I am. Drinking a latte. And one of these... Have you guys ever bought one of these Mountain Valley gigantic things of bubbly I water? That. Yes. I... Uh, I... I walked, I've been buying them. It's like a funny guilty pleasure. The first time I went to Benchmark's San Francisco office, they were like, do you want a water? And I was like, sure. And like, they brought out this gigantic glass. I mean, this thing is, it's a quart. It's 33.8 fluid ounces in this beautiful green bottle. And so now whenever I'm buying one at a Whole Foods and I'm feeling fancy, oh, pick it up. That's why Bill Gurley. a hell of a humble brag, so by the way. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that I once had a meeting at Benchmark? <laughs> Well, the last time I was there, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is so fun. We're getting look. comments in from YouTube, LinkedIn, all of that on the side here. I can't believe there's actually people on LinkedIn <laughs> listening to this. Hello? That's true. Also, the person on LinkedIn being "Yo, was good boys" was very much <laughs> not what I expected. From LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where everything's moving these days. By the way, oh, I uh, I was browsing. Um, so, do you know Amazon has like kind of a social network? Like, you can yeah, view people's no profile pages on Amazon, and you can see like all their reviews, and like it even has like a profile picture and a banner picture, and like no one has set them. And David, you have one. I was looking because you're the number one review on Seven Powers. Your picture is like. 10 12 years old you've short hair you're missing a banner <laughs> picture it's very incomplete but like they clearly didn't they didn't intend for you to find people other than through reviews so we all have a profile page but no real social graph wait david you're the number one reviewer on seven powers so that's my number one claim to fame <laughs> i should change my twitter wow. that. can we get the fake photo of david with short hair sometime by the way yeah i'll throw a link in the chat oh yeah pre-flow sure. pre-flow when did you get the flow, David? I got the flow in 2012. Oh, wow. After when I yeah. started at business school. I kind of always wanted long hair, and uh, uh, but I was like, oh, I need to be buttoned up for the workplace. And I was like, oh, I'm going back to school. Like, why not? Just let it go. And I, I think now. it's a better look. Well, pe people can see the, the photo in the chat, and then they can decide if I'm better. It's a pretty oh, low well, risk photo. It's like, we'll have to see how this goes. The flow's iconic um, now. So let's uh, let's recap 2021. We thought we could go through 
acquired, not boring, and the generalist. Talk about uh, talk about this big year for all of us. I'm Let's I'm already self conscious because you guys uh, ha have just had like the most bananas years of all time. I'm gonna be like, oh, I grew like this much. You'll be like, oh yeah, I grew that much in February. Uh, that was fun. Um, uh -oh. So I'm already I'm already worried. <laughs> this is not. Uh, uh, first of all, not about that. Second of all, uh, uh, let us remind you that we had three years of like linear growth with a slow slope maybe four years of that so we added five listeners per year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something something compounding something something yeah um yeah anyway i'm pumped should we start with acquired what's the what's the best kind of way to to recap what was the most popular acquired episode of the year Ooh, i have this Ooh. pulled up first what, of all so i can guess all right sounds good well, let me warm you all up with a quick okay. comment first, which is uh, I pulled up our total downloads ever um, and, and sort of just episodes by most downloaded. And eight of the 10 were released this year. So they've had the shortest wow. amount of time no, and wild. have the most. So the only two that weren't from this year in the top 10 are SpaceX and Airbnb. And Airbnb okay. was December 2020. So, yeah. you know, basically... basically this year yeah what's number one berkshire hathaway part one mm. which i actually wouldn't have guessed i thought it would be tsmc that's what TSMC i was gonna guess has yeah. gotten like a lot of uh, a lot of twitter love we managed to like hit this intersection of like silicon twitter plus tech twitter <laughs> plus like fintwit fintwit that, that was this like mm perfect uh semiconductor twitter is legit yeah i have wow. a for anyone who follows me on twitter i have like a list called silicon that i use just to follow people who are like analysts of of uh that as i was preparing for the tsmc episode and there's it's a whole different universe when you dive into there <laughs> who's the, the number one must follow on silicon uh that's a good question honestly i think it's the nzs yeah guys. i think we got a john bathgate and nzs yeah all oh, right 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 because there are curators too they, them, right? they find a lot of the best like other stuff to reshare uh, but are you yeah. so when you I, I always struggle with this a little bit too when you're you know after the tsmc episode are you continuing to just stay up on silicon and or are you like on to the next one? It's a great question. It's hard. Like, yeah, uh, I certainly can't stay as current as we are for the episodes. Like, I think I hit the peak knowledge of all I will ever know about a company in the final few minutes of an episode. And then I, it's like, I start forgetting it. There's some half-life to my knowledge after yeah. that. And it gets like little re-ups every time I'll like read an article or something, but never that knowledgeable again. Do you guys get it's the like same finals, thing? right? Totally. It's just like writing a term paper. Yeah. You're like, well, what do I remember about the, the, you know, American Republic two, two years later? I forget. Uh, but, but for a moment there, you really feel like you're on top of it. I will say though, they're probably on average, maybe two or three times a year, we'll do an acquired topic. And then I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need to you know, become a shareholder in this company or buy tokens or something. And, um, yeah. TSMC made that cut for me this year. Hasn't nice. performed, you know, that great. It's I think it's basically flat since I flat, invested. Yeah. But I was just like, there is 
other than the you know polit geopolitical threat of uh, what happens with Taiwan in the coming years, um, which I think the company can probably survive. Uh, I just don't see any future where they're not like an incredibly important piece of like the entire world's ecosystem. Did, did you buy ASML also? I did not. I probably should. I, I did, but I think it's like the Tesla of Europe from like mm. a multiples perspective. I think it might be the most valuable European tech company and like certainly by wow. any reasonable metric, they're not. Packy, I'm curious. Oh, yeah. do you, do, 332 do, billion. Wow. Do you feel the same way? Like, how do you stay up after you write a piece? I don't. I mean, it, it's really, really tough. So I, I think this year, certainly compared to 2020, when I was writing kind of more just like one company at a time, that was really hard. Now it feels like, you know, occasionally I'll do one company, but more it's a part of a big kind of, you know, arcing narrative. And so it's a little bit easier just to kind of stay up. But it's, even writing about this stuff every week, it's impossible to stay up on everything that's going on. You know, obviously I have people DM all the time or you know, at cocktail parties ask me about like very specific things and I have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I mean, for me, it's just picking a few things that I'm really interested in, making sure that I'm at least like kind of knowledgeable enough, continuing to follow people on Twitter and read and all of that. And, uh, you know, the, I've given up all hope on, on being fully knowledgeable at this point. Well, it's impossible in Web3 also. Yeah. Like, I, I'm sure there's like approximately a thousand people that are trying to do something like Constitution DAO, but for a different object. And like, yeah, it, you couldn't possibly stay up on all that. Although my favorite right now, my friend Brett started something called Fry's DAO. And they're... Like Fry's Electronics? No, like Fry's, like French fries. And they're trying to buy <laughs> fast food chains. And the, the the fun part about this, and I think I might write a little bit about this on Monday, is that like each one of these things seems so stupid. Like, you know, like why not just put together an LLC and go out and buy, you know, I think even Frystyle will have LLCs involved in the in the whole thing to go buy franchises. But each one I think has like a little innovation that they're adding to the mix. So this will be like I, I think the interesting thing on this one will be one, I guess kind of around like decentralized management of single entities but the other is around what you do with profits when these are governance tokens and not securities uh and so they have some kind of interesting ideas there on what to do with the actual profits from the franchises and so like all of those are just you know i think adding one little piece that i think this year frankly like we're going to start seeing dallas come together and do some really really cool shit um and like solve some really hard problems uh, and so I think each one of these dumb things or like dumb looking from the outside things is adding one little piece that ultimately those big DAOs will, will need to, to go do some cool stuff. I like that framing. It feels like, you know, just rapid imitation and evolution that'll just help us sort of naturally select for a really incredibly interesting structure. Totally. I mean, just, I just read uh, complexity finally after I think it came out 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, but it does feel like the these are just, book. exactly. It does feel like these are just kind of models almost, you know, like just these digital models that, you know, allow for really rapid kind of iteration and experimentation, but with real people. And then you might be able to apply those models to, you know, to other things that are maybe less digitally constrained. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, this is like, this is the theory of startups, right? Like this is why startups exist. Like many of them look stupid and are stupid 
but some of them are not. And now in Web3, it's just happening at like such a crazy fast pace and anybody can do it and you don't need any permission despite what Jack says. <laughs> can uh, someone explain to me, uh, I know we're way, so like to think about the levels of like function calls that we're in. We started with how's everyone's year in, year been, we went to acquired. Uh, but like, can I take a sidetrack here? What is the Bitcoin maximalist argument? Like I understand I, I, I'm very amenable to this Web3 argument. It's decentralized AWS that everybody owns and you pay with the, you know, that, that's like my favorite analogy for non-Web3 people is like, it's the globally decentralized computer. It's a new application platform. You can easily see how there's intrinsic value created by that. W what is the like, I'm long Bitcoin, but short Web3 perspective? I think it's, I think there's a few things. One, it's kind of, purely decentralized and the OG and Satoshi isn't even a real person and there's no central control. And what you really want out of this is just a financial asset that nobody can control. And so that, you know, anybody in the world can own and access equally and all of that. And anything that happens in web three or like Ethereum, Solana, any one of the L1s, like even the existence of many other L1, this is smart contract L1s proves that they're all shit coins because it's easy for anybody to start a different one uh, and kind of take attention away. I, it's not, I mean, I'm not making the argument probably particularly well because it's not obviously one that I subscribe to, but I think from Jack's perspective in particular, it's really like if he's just bought in fully on this Bitcoin thing and anything else is a distraction from that. I don't know why he went so hard after, after VCs in particular and why it wasn't just like, purely pro Bitcoin versus anti web three and anti, uh, VCs. We, we need a break guys. Like, I mean, don't, don't be <laughs> yes, out here. Um, but I, I think that is his perspective is that like, he really does believe in the power of having this kind of like decentralized world currency, uh, and anything else is a distraction. I mean, this is more of a, a meta point, but the, and this is a, also an argument that I think will get very little sympathy, but I honestly think VCs get a tough rap. Like, Jack, oh, here we go. We've oh, moved into we the here feel sympathy go. for I'm, VCs part of the hour. And also, I'm the only one here who's not a VC, so <laughs> I, I feel like I can say it. Uh, but for real, Jack built two big companies with VC money that like served a really valuable purpose for all of these, uh, totally. you know, Web three products that are getting VC money. Like, yeah, they're using it for to get off the ground and to uh, bring it to the masses. Like, yeah, VCs do a bunch of corny stuff, but it's such an easy target that I don't think is particularly uh, articulately attacked beyond just well, like that's that lull. Like, it seems to me the, a flaw in Jack argument is in traditional equity startups, yeah, it was so stacked for the VCs. Like, yeah. You know, nobody on this call could have invested in Square when it was, you know, a private company or Twitter when it was totally. a private company. And those VCs made billions and billions of dollars because of that. And it was just closed access. But like everything that Andreessen's instinct in and Web3 and the like, like anybody listening here, any of us can just go buy tokens in that at the same time. Like I, bunch of, I bought a bunch of um, tokens after we had Roniel on, on the show. And I was like, this is awesome. And I was going to ask him, I think I did ask him after the call. I was like, Oh, what's the best way to invest? And he's like, uh, go to Uniswap, <laughs> hook up your MetaMask. And... I think he actually explicitly told you, I can't tell you how to 
invest. I think, I think that is true. I think yeah. he said uh, <laughs> it was traded on major exchanges, but I can't like decentralized or centralized exchanges. And I, the the interesting thing there is, I mean, I, I do think that probably over time, you know, the amount that a Web three VC is able to purchase in a protocol comes down. Like I, I think probably it, it looks like a minimally extractive protocol almost over time. But I do think, it, particularly in Web three, when people can invest earlier and when there are millions of projects that come out, most of which are scams. I do think that VCs do play kind of an important filtering role. And so, you know, a VC can invest token launch and somebody can invest right away versus waiting seven years. So I think it's a good kind of signaling and filtering mechanism, but over time, probably the amount that they own comes down and that's a really good thing. Yeah. I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, there's sort of like information creators in any market, like you sort of have price setters and price takers. And it's kind of, even though they're conflicted, it's kind of nice for the whole ecosystem to have price setters that are doing diligence or that are making informed decisions rather than like, you know, however memes sort of come to be that, that people sort of glom on. And when you look all the way back at the original thing, it was actually super low signal, but then got the gain turned all the way up. And then a whole bunch of people ran into something that didn't come from originally a strong signal. So, you know, e even even though certainly the people po pouring millions of dollars into a project early on become wildly conflicted in it, um, you know, they're, they're doing actual research to found the original investment decision. And I mean, the other good thing is that in many cases, they're locked in for a very long time. And so, you know, instead of somebody just kind of yeah. coming in and buying and selling and moving on to the next thing, VCs are typically locked in for at least two years, maybe more in a lot of these projects. It's also, I think, very easy now after this year to say like, oh my God, look at how crazy it is that the VCs own this. Where like, you know, Solana's early investors, that was an incredibly non-consensus bet to me. Totally. Or, you know, like Flow, I think over time, like looked like a crazy, Dapper Labs looked like a crazy bet and like, you know, ran into trouble before it, it blew up with NBA. So VCs look, I guess, kind of extractive when they're right in hindsight, but a lot of this could have just been, you know, I have some cards that fell apart and, and, you know, they own a bunch of shit coins. Well, I'm so, we now alienated the yeah. audience enough. Uh, so v VCs are kind of cool and all, but like back to us, like, let's talk about <laughs> us guys. <laughs> well, listeners, this is the perfect opportunity to introduce a new sponsor here on ACQ2 quarter. Their new product, Quarter Pro, launched about a year ago and is already adopted by several Fortune 500 companies and some of the world's largest hedge funds and equity research departments. Yeah, this research platform is transforming the way qualitative public market research is conducted. Here's how Quarter Pro works. You can get every piece of first-party information from public companies all in one single place. That's live earnings calls with real-time transcripts, company filings, slide decks, and more. Quarter Pro has built a world-class user interface for this. Yep. Let's say you're an investor or a podcaster, and you've got the use case where you need to look up a company such as Novo Nordisk, Hermes, or Visa. You can open their platform and search Guidance or Market Outlook. Quarter Pro then immediately identifies all instances where a company has historically mentioned and discussed these topics in all of their IR-related communications. Or here's another pretty crazy thing they've done that's difficult to get anywhere else. You can actually search through literally every individual slide in Quarter's database covering 9,000 public companies and millions of slides 
for any keyword mentioned based on Quarter's AI capabilities. This truly makes it easier than ever to conduct qualitative analysis of entire industry value chains and specific companies. So whether you're an equity research analyst, an asset manager, or an investor relations professional, this platform will help you increase your productivity through their live call, transcript components, AI-powered summaries, and a feature allowing you to visualize the entire timeline and changes of specific slides throughout Quarter's. Quarter also offers their database as an API solution. This enables other companies such as trading and research platforms, as well as AI and LLM companies to build custom solutions and integrate this database into their offerings or add functionality on top of the data. Yep. To find out why leading companies globally are choosing Quarter Pro in their day-to-day work and to experience the platform firsthand, request a personal demo by visiting quarter.com slash acquired. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R no e q u a r t r dot com slash acquired or click the link in the show notes to get the personal demo from the quarter team our thanks to quarter all right so just to wrap on acquired uh i also pulled some data that surprised me we did our usual 16 season episodes this year bitcoin new york times Meituan, rec room three on berkshire ethereum with packy two on A16Z, TSMC, two on Standard Oil, not boring, FTX with Mario, and then CAA with Michael Ovitz, which was, that was that was a highlighted year for me, was interviewing oh, so Michael. Great. That was so fun. And he was so great and so gracious. He sent us a super nice note when we released the episode. That was awesome. So that was, we did our usual 16 season episodes, our usual 10 specials. We had like, Honam, Kevin Rose, Michael Malvison, NCS, all awesome. How many LP episodes do you think we did, Ben? I feel like, uh, let's see, so that's 26, 18? Wow, 19. Wow. Which is like I track and plan this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) In my mind, I was thinking like, oh, we probably, you know, we did 16 season, 10 specials. We probably did about 10 LP episodes. No, it was our biggest our biggest uh, content creation was LP episodes this year. I mean, not, not wow. surprising. Those are like, d- just to like, they're so much easier to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like we hop on, we don't quite wing it. We do research, we do an outline, but it's mostly like find super interesting people that can talk a lot on their own and dive in with them and it's not like the lp show when it first started which was like you and i are going to create a six-part class on how to become a venture capitalist and methodically single-handedly walk through that it's it's very much a like um yeah that they're they're deep cuts but yeah not surprising to me that was our biggest category yeah and talk to us about the decision to make those free for everybody uh yeah, well, my hope was that, well, I guess let me take it back to, to a, a goal. The goal was to make it so that there was an appropriate audience size for the quality of content that was being created with the caliber of guests that we were having on. I always felt this twinge of embarrassment when we would ask someone to come on the LP show and they know of acquired the brand and they don't really know that much about the LP show. And then we finish the episode, we post it and we share it. We say we're live and they're like, cool. Like, how do I listen? Where do I see it? Yeah. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll send, of course I've sent you a free subscription. They're like, well, how do other people listen? I'm like, well, you know, they become an LP. It's a hundred dollars a year. 
and it's immediately just this awkward situation. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to keep a lot of value for LPs and we did that in the form of keeping all episodes exclusive for two weeks and by keeping things like zoom calls and some other web three related stuff we have planned LP only. Um, but the goal was like, well, okay, what's, what's a decent audience size and how fast can we get there? And so in the, we did this a month ago and the LP show now has 15,000 subscribers, which is oh, wow. a, about 10%. The, the main show is a little over 160,000. Um, and so I don't, we'll see how much that can kind of grow to and, and how fast, but, um, you know, I, I look at it like it's not going to be as broad of an appeal because it really is sort of deeper, nerdier topics. Like a lot of people are interested in SBF in in FTX with SBF and Mario, less people, but certainly a even more passionate subset of those people are going to want to hear the race capital story of how they invested in Solana and FTX. And like, we have that coming out with Chris and Edith from race capital. And like, it's always, I think going to be a smaller audience, but certainly a passionate one. That's amazing. So you're 160 or so thousand subscribers now, which is wild. Yeah, char- chartable tracks, monthly, monthly unique listeners. What was that at the beginning of the year? Uh, around 60,000. Oh, wow. Whoa, damn. It was a big year. <laughs> was there year. one in flight? Like, was there one thing that kind of like kicked it off or was it just all year an onslaught? <laughs> David, what do you think? Uh, well, I think TSMC was very shareable. Um, so that I think brought a lot of new listeners I think probably Berkshire too, just like doing that. Um, yeah, that brought that brought Fintwit in. I think because it's um, expanding the circles that acquired is interesting mm-hmm. too. The other thing that we finally figured out is like people share content when they get credit for being smart for having found it, and so. Mm. It's not that we necessarily changed the type of content we were creating to appeal to that, but it helped me set my expectations for when is something going to go versus when is uh, when is someone going to listen, have gotten value, but then think like, will I accrue social capital for having shared this? No. Mm. And I think that uh, for the first several years of Acquired, that was sort of our, uh, that was a little bit the fatal flaw is like we weren't we weren't necessarily doing stuff that was zeitgeisty enough in the moment for you to feel like I just shared this super interesting thing about something that the world cares about right now. And I think we try and key mm. a little bit more into that than we used to. Makes sense. Do you guys, do you see that people go back? Cause you do have this catalog and this library of episodes that aren't, you know, that for many years were not zeitgeisty. And so are kind of more evergreen Do people who come in and start listening, go back and just rip through the whole catalog. Yes, it's, yes. it's crazy. It's the strangest thing when people join the Slack and they're like, all right, I listened to the most recent episode and now I've listened to 28 previous ones and I'm working my way through. <laughs> I, I, it's astonishing to me because I'm like, I can't imagine listening to... Uh, certainly uh, the stuff from our first couple of years just isn't... We Does just want to research. with you guys or you is it better. a different yeah. dynamic with newsletters? In terms of back catalog getting back catalog, yeah. So it's hard to know because I don't think my instrumentation is particularly good in terms of, of read counts until probably three months ago. Um, but 
broadly and anecdotally, yes. Like there are some pieces that seem to continually crop up on people's radar where they'll be like, oh yeah, I found you from this thing from, you know, six months ago or um, stuff like that. So there are, I think, some pieces that just like become a little bit like reference points. I, I assume that's true for you too, Packy, right? It is. And it's interesting. I mean, like for me, I think this year, great online game was probably like the one that people talked about the most, but was yeah. not actually even in my top five. Uh, I think wow. It was number seven, most read. Um, huh. And so that's, I think, kind of interesting too. I, I would imagine it's brought a bunch of people in, but not enough, you know, maybe like once they're in, they talk about it, but Otherwise, you know, it's it's not the one that grabbed the most attention. Something like an Axie is where there's this like mm, huge right. community of people who are already bought into Axie and love it and want to share it and all of that. Um, but maybe because Great Online Game didn't have like a particular company, it didn't share as well, but certainly the, the one that people reference the most. Well, I, anecdotally, I shared Great Online Game, I'm sorry, I shared Axie with a few execs that I know in the gaming industry to specifically to explain, hey, there's a new business model emerging called Play to Earn. Mm. And it, the great online game, I remember listening to it on a run and like nodding and and like smiling along with it. People probably thought I was a crazy person on this run, but I felt like I was being enlightened <laughs> by like all this cool ways that you were stitching stuff together. But then afterwards, I was like, there's a general, I think I tweeted about it. I was like, this is, this is eye-opening. But it wasn't like, hey, I can think of five people who must yeah. listen to this as a form of education for themselves the way I could with the Axie piece. That's super interesting. I will say, though, I think that we're going to be reading the great online game in like 10 years time still. Um, and like, you know, when there are those lists of like things you need to read to get, you know, started on technology and, you know, startups, like I think it'll be on there. It's such a good piece, man. Thank you. We'll say, I mean, it's Thank you. I just think it's it, it's very interesting, just to your point, just what gets shared and what does not get shared. Mario, what was your most popular piece of the year? So I don't really know because I only started to do <laughs> read tracking in like three months ago, but since then, Tiger by a lot. Um, and uh, I think it probably is regardless. Um, but yeah, um, that one like had a little zeitgeistiness to it in the way that you guys are talking about um and i think probably put together a few different pieces of the story in one place um so that one i think did did well and then the other ones that um uh, also mario uh, I, I david and i have talked to some founders recently who uh specifically read that to prepare for engaging with tiger in a fundraise so like i know no it's the, in the same way that i the that packy's was sort of the definitive piece on you need to learn about play to earn it's like if you need to learn about tiger you know there's your piece and there's the one from everett randall which is also great which which was it's a little really bit good. earlier and like that those are great primers on and and like sp specifically actionable to help with a thing that you have upcoming in your life yeah oh, that's really cool to hear i didn't know that um yeah everett's piece is amazing i definitely like uh used a lot of his thinking and research um on the tiger piece and uh hopefully added something to the conversation but uh that one and then the dow's piece ended up being a pretty big one i think for a similar purpose like i've heard from a bunch of folks they're like hey this like ended up being sort of the thing that helped me put this together in a complete way um, and like understand the landscape. And then similarly for tech in Africa, 
uh, which mm. I, I um, someone sent me a screenshot that it's like included in the curriculum um, at uh, one of like I think University of Michigan's master's program or international development program or something. Uh, so that was a trip. That was really cool. That's awesome. Um, so Wait, cool. Packy, was Axie year number one of the year? It was what, number one of the year. What, give us your top uh, top five. So I tweeted this yesterday. Let me pull it up. Um, but yeah, I think that one, I mean, that just has such a passionate community of, of players and people around it. And the Twitter account has a huge following and they shared it. Um, all right. So if we do the top five, number five was the Pareto Frontier, which I wasn't, I don't think one of my five best pieces of the year, but I think it was just recent and the audience just keeps getting bigger. Uh, and so that helps. Uh, number six was Solana Summer. Um, number four was the piece that I wrote on Sheehan with uh, Matt Brennan, which I think it just took off in China. And like, you know, sometimes, sometimes things like that just kind of help that we have two different audiences that it was able to kind of just catch fire. Number three was uh, Own the Internet on Ethereum. Number two was Excel Never Dies, and number one was mm. Axie. So the really interesting thing there right, is that, like, other than Pareto Frontier, which I think it's just a, a, you know, had the benefit of being recent, it is, you know, even if I write more like kind of broad think PC type stuff, like the ones that really like catch hold and spread fastest are the ones with one particular topic and subject. Mm. And how many of those were collaborations uh, of the top? Yeah, good point. Of the top five, uh, two of them were collaborations. Huh. And I, I wonder if that's, well, maybe there's no signal there because it's like an equal, it's equal to the percentage that you, well, no, you don't do that many collaborations. You've no. probably done eight to 10 ever. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Huh. I think Excel is one of those things that you're saying with TSMC where Yes, you know, it just it hits the right number of like different groups right in the chest uh, that you know I could have written like <laughs> the word Excel on a piece of paper and people <laughs> would have shared it because they love Excel. Um, well, there's that woman on TikTok. Have you, yeah, have you... yeah, wow, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, did you see Rex Woodbury's thread about her? Yeah, Miss Excel we're talking about, who's this uh, influencer on TikTok who's making like up to 100K a day on her courses um, around <laughs> Excel. It's a really great uh, thread from Rex. That's how I learned Excel. Is that TikTok. right? No. <laughs> I'm, oh, like, I'm like, I what? hope the timeline oh. doesn't match up there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just learned Excel like, a couple months ago. <laughs> Uh, um, We're, um, should we do low lights? So you're, what, oh, we got to hear the generalist year interview. But first, Packy, question. So Solana was a sponsored piece. Were any of the other top ones sponsored? Uh, that's a good question. The next one was Replit at number eight. At number eight. Wow. Wow, that's, that's pretty good. Still, that's pretty awesome. Like six and eight were nine or ten sponsored? Uh, no, nine and 10 were not sponsored. Okay. It's still a pretty good hit rate. I would say. Yeah. I mean, I know if you would have asked me like, would, would a Substack writer get paid a meaningful amount of money to write a piece and have it be one of their top and be on the top of tech meme that day with it? I'd have been like, no, hell no. <laughs> so it's just like a, it's, uh, it's unprecedented. It, I'm yeah. I think hopefully also I've gotten you know, better and continue to get better 
and just have like a wider set of companies to choose from at like picking the right companies to to write about. Uh, and so like really at this point, everything that I'm writing about in a sponsored deep dive is something that I would write about not as a sponsored deep dive. And that was true-ish before, you know, like, and there's nothing that I wrote that I didn't believe in, but I think it's particularly true now that like, I feel lucky to get to write about the, the companies that I'm writing about now on, in the sponsored deep dives. Pretty cool. Very cool. Uh, all right, Mario, give us some, some high level. What do you, what, uh, what's shareable about the, the run that you've had this year with uh, the generalist? Uh, it's been a good run, man. I can't, I can't complain. Uh, I think, you know, growth wise, uh, I looked and I think it was 20,000 subscribers at start of the year and, uh, casual three now, not quite, not quite. Um, which definitely surpassed like all of my expectations for it. So that was a bit, that was a bit nuts. Um, and I think also I learned a bunch about sort of like what the generalist should be. Uh, you know, when I started the year, I had sort of maybe three, four more newsletters I was trying to run simultaneously as like part of this suite. Um, and I think what I really became clear, especially in the second half of the year is like, just do the weekly briefing fucking well and as deeply as possible um and actually weirdly people will happily read ten thousand words or eight thousand words on a subject um and that was both i think a lot more fun for me i mean I, i've always had a ton of fun doing this but um i feel better about doing that uh at a high level and um also seems to be more successful so uh, that that was good, and then you know, revenue wise, from zero to a good business, which was uh, was nice um, and feels sustainable. And didn't you move to your own custom website and platform too, and away from Substack this year? Yeah, so I always like, or very early on, I switched to ConvertKit for uh, sending emails, but I was posting them on Substack, um, and I moved the generalist to a new site at the start of the year. Um, and then also launched sort of a private community, uh, which now has a much, an actual page for it and all those things, because that's like going to be a big focus this year. Um, and I've really been glad for having done that. I think it, um, gave me a chance to cast the vision for the generalist a little bit. Mm. Um, and also gave me like a bit of a digital terrain, a product that I can like continue to work and improve, um, and so that really is something that excites me about the year ahead for sure. Um, and then the final thing that was, I think, sort of a, a bit of a highlight this year was Philosophical Foxes. Like that was just like the pure joy and magic on the internet. And uh, I'm really excited about that for next year. Definitely a lot of things like cooking and like brings in my uh, fiction storytelling brain that uh you know i don't always get to exercise as much so i'm super pumped about that That's and so give cool. us what yeah, for, for for folks who don't know a lot about it what was the what is the philosophical foxes project so philosophical foxes are like profile picture nfts uh it's at foxes nft on twitter um and so i wrote basically a piece on OpenSea, and as part of that my fiance was like you know you should probably buy a, an nft off OpenSea if you're going to write this piece i was like yeah i should that makes sense <laughs> so i bought one and then i was like 
in the shower just thinking, I was like, what if I like make a collection just to understand how this works? And then pretty quickly, I'm sure you guys are the same, like you get an idea and then you could just like start uh, snowballing with it and thinking of where it might go. And so I sort of started to think about what existing PFP projects, maybe why they failed to resonate with me um, as much as I would have hoped. And I think part of the thing I decided was that like, the IP for NFTs is purposefully thin a lot of the time for these projects, like uh, a board ape or a punk. Like we're now seeing them uh, create partnerships with talent agencies and things like that to bring movies, film, uh, you know, TV shows into the market. But it's kind of impossible to know like what a single board ape is like as a character. There's no depth to them as a character beyond their visual element. Um, and so the thought process behind Philosophical Foxes was, what if you could create a PFP that had sort of three dimensions to it? It had a thought that you could see, so you had a, a sense of what it was interested in. It had emotional baggage in its metadata, so you could see like what its flaws were and what its you know peccadillos were, and virtues in its metadata. So it's like, you know, this one is a good listener, this one uh is funny this one is good at handling spicy food uh it's like they're little tinder profiles for your nfts yeah exactly and the idea was that like you can give that to people and they actually are buying like a character that if you ever were to extend the universe for it not everything would be permissible that fox would have to act in certain ways that corresponded to its character um, and so in that respect, it's more similar to how we treat IP today, which is like, if you take the James Bond books and turn them into a movie, there are certain things that, that have to be a part of it, more or less. Um, There's like so a yeah, D&D-ness to it. Yes, yes, exactly. I think about that a lot. Um, like, how are the, what are the alignments of them almost? Um, and like, how can you set them off onto little adventures or dilemmas or things like that, um, that essentially building an on-chain personality and backstory. Um, so that's like something I'm going to play around with this year that I think will be really fun. It's great. It's like the most Mario possible way to do an <laughs> NFT project. Mario Max to the max. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I mean, it keys on when you said like, I, I, I learned a lot this year about what the generalist should be. I feel like David and I did too with acquired. And I, I think that, I mean, we've said this a zillion times, and I think we all say it in different ways, but like the internet is a big place. So just go be extreme in one facet of it, and you will attract the, the tribe of people who are as into whatever that extremeness as you are. And of course, that could be mm -hmm. very negative politically or, you know, ideologically. But if your thing is like really deep dive, extremely ridiculously deep dives on companies, like, it's there's clearly some audience for that and it's not as big as like for us it's like we never want to be how i built this well we kind of can't be how i built yeah. this because we're not as how i built this as how i built this but they're not <laughs> as acquired as we are so they're totally. <laughs> it's a sort of nonsensical to explain it that way but i guess what i'm getting at is for for us at least we figured out the thing that makes acquired differentiated is actually not the interviews with big name guests like for most mm -hmm. podcast shows, they'd be like, well, who'd you have on? And my answer to that now typically is like, well, our really good episodes have no guests. And that's not because mm. David and I are... was 10 hours on Berkshire Hathaway with just right. us. <laughs> 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 it's like, I, I don't know, because we, cause we're 
so like you guys so willing to go down a hundred hour research rabbit hole to write a doctoral thesis on this story that's in most of the time still being written or or like it's sort of like an investment memo where we don't get to invest at the mm-hmm. end that like uh <laughs> uh it, it it creates differentiated content because it's not just doing a couple hours of prep work and then putting a, an interview guest in a chair yes yeah like the one of the concepts i sort of think about for what we're all doing is like value over replacement and i think like finding the place where you can increase your value over a replacement pod like yeah you you can get the same guest in a chair at a hundred different podcasts in some respect and you'll get a version of the same spiel um but it's pretty hard to 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 do 10 hours on berkshire uh at the same level of detail that's been such a i think that was actually sort of the like low lights challenges for acquired this year i think that we had already figured that out by the summer like after in the aftermath of the berkshire trilogy for us i think we figured that out then but then the back half of the year (laughs) with my daughter arriving uh thanks to both of you guys and a bunch of people um we had a little help to finish out the season and, and we did basically all guests for the last two three months and like i think we had some great episodes but like it really hit home for me that like the core meat of what makes acquired acquired is the episodes that are just us right like the, we had some things that spiked on quality for interviews like the michael Ovitz thing was just you know that is one of my favorite interviews that we've ever done if not my favorite but it wasn't as differentiated as our content that's just us because you know a lot of people can conduct an interview any other low lights that like came to mind for you guys my i mean we have a big 2021 which is like our uh we i don't think we've talked about this yet but uh, so 2020 March hit, we felt it was completely inappropriate to be like, no one wanted to listen to content on like, yeah, but how much of a multiple did the investors <laughs> get on that thing when the big company bought the little company? It was like, it just felt very wrong. So we, um, uh, we changed the show and we actually retitled it. We called it adapting and we did three episodes, uh, of like, companies that were adapting and we told one historical about intel and andy grove and we did this amazing interview with um mark canlis who's one of the canlis brothers of of canlis restaurant here in seattle that just was totally on the forefront of saving that business and all the employees and being incredibly creative and, and inspiring in the pandemic um but ultimately like a lot of people follow the show for something and that was just not at all what people were following the show for. And you can see it in our analytics, like whether by uh, people's commute habits changing and therefore their podcast listening changing or because we decided to completely change the show and change the name of the show. uh, Our analytics took a gigantic hit on every uh, measurable axis last, last March, April, May, June, and took a while for us to dig out of that. Hmm. Well, good for you guys for giving it a shot. I mean, good to good to test it out, and then not stick with it. <laughs> yeah. Importantly, the Bezos two-way door. Fortunately, yeah. Was that a yeah. metrics-driven thing, or like what what made you decide to back? I think it was a combination of 
certainly the metrics and the data were telling us that like it wasn't working but also you know at that time like by the time we got to may june i think we realized i mean you guys were writing about this you especially packy like yes COVID and the pandemic was terrible but like it also just opened this door to so many new possibilities too and like it wasn't doom and gloom anymore and the stock market yeah. was ripping and we we're like huh maybe <laughs> we should be a little more optimistic here yeah <laughs> yeah yeah in fact we, we were like actually our normal type of content is exactly what people want right now like that we are there's a massive opportunity cost to us yeah. trying anything new at yeah. the moment yeah, everyone just wants to buy stocks right now. <laughs> you tell also, stocks, but... also, we haven't said it on this episode yet, but uh, this is certainly not investment advice in any form, and everyone should do all their own research. Amen. Indeed. Never is. Uh, what about you guys? Yeah, lowlights. Maria? Uh, yeah. Uh, I would say the summer was kind of a little tough for me, um, metrics-wise in particular. Uh, everything just grew more slowly, and I think I had also been sort of primed by the COVID appetite for online content that like suddenly disappeared a little bit during during summer. I was like, oh man, what is what is happening here? Uh, things aren't aren't moving in the way that I have like grown accustomed to. Um, <laughs> and so I think I had to like learn a bit of patience on that. Um, and then I'm actually going to share more about this soon. But just as a preview, like, I wouldn't say this is was necessarily a low light, but a uh, necessary lesson for me, I think, was doing some fundamental work on the generalists value proposition and business model. Um, like it works well as a subscription business, but I think content like this, like wants to be free in many respects, uh, especially when it's broader in scope. Um, and so I spent a lot of time in the summer, you know, sort of during that slower patch, like, uh, with a, a friend who like very generously offered to help me to think through this, like thinking from first principles, like what are the three value propositions the generalist is doing? Like who very specifically are the audience profiles and all of those things that I think I kind of skated past, um, when I was just like in keep keep things alive and like stay above water mode um and so that was very important but not always that fun because it uh forced me to to do a bit of introspection um and some harder thinking hmm. and for me low lights it's just I mean, like, it's the greatest thing in the world. This is as much fun as I've ever had professionally. Like, I, there's zero complaints. It's also just, like, a lot. Like, content is one it's of those things that, like, can just, you know, fill every crevice and nook and cranny. And, you know, like, you feel guilty if you're not thinking about the next thing that you're working on. Oh, my and God. Yes. For whatever reason, it all ends up pushing, for me at least, into, like, the last day or two before the piece is due, no matter how much advanced time I give myself. Like, all that kind of stuff, just, like, you know, normally I'm very uh, – happy and optimistic and even keeled and like there were definitely times this year where i was like i i just have zero idea how i'm gonna make anything in life work i suck at everything that i'm doing like yes. none of this you know like and that happened multiple times this year and so like again it's it, it can't complain and like zero complaints on this but it was definitely like a pretty challenging year just from like 
between the fund and the writing, particularly the writing, just like keeping everything going. Like if, if you're out there listening and you have an email in my inbox and I haven't responded to it, like you are not alone. I, you know, I had to like <laughs> just let certain things break and you know, I hate not responding to people and that kind of stuff, but like it, there's just zero way to juggle all of it. So I think my low light was that and the highlight or the, the kind of takeaway for 2022 is like, I need to finally just man up and, hire somebody uh, which i've really tried to avoid doing but i think it'd be really really helpful parenting that you've been doing this whole time too like parenting (laughs) for three months now while quasi doing this i'm just like wow (laughs) i can't imagine you doing this the whole time right because that's another thing that like very happily takes up any kind of like crevice of time that you have because if you know it's if, as soon as i don't have to work i want to go hang out with him yeah. so yeah there, it's just a lot of competing things for time if i had the hermione time turner it would have been the easiest best year ever <laughs> uh but certainly a lot well, to to point, like our our work you know content creation like create it feels pretentious to call it creative work but it is creative work uh and parenting are both things that like will infinitely expand to fill time that not even not allotted to them, but like that they possibly can. Yes. <laughs> like they will both take every ounce of your time. <laughs> and like middle of the night time, even, you know, like yeah. whether it's you a kid waking up or you off. waking up like with an idea. Yeah. It's yes. just, it takes every amount of, you know, every hour of the day. Especially the, the doing it, with the personality type that we all have in order to have started each of these things, it's like a necessary personality type of like, how, how can I make it better and just continuing to go all out to make it better. And, and almost a guilt that comes with not giving it the energy that it needs to make it better. Like I, I, I I used to feel like, Oh, Dave and I'll Google around for a few hours before, uh, 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 and then we'll hit record and like, we'll see what happens. But now if I'm like, Oh, I didn't consume every piece of media ever <laughs> written about this topic before I started. I must have missed something. And I could have had a better perspective on this if I had consumed every piece of media. That's and, one of the funniest. Uh, one of the funniest pieces of this whole thing is like, if I leave something on the cutting room floor, I'm like, oh, God, they're going to know that I didn't write about this obscure thing. <laughs> like nobody, I've already written six times as many words as anybody wants to read on a particular <laughs> subject, but I feel guilty at leaving everything on the cutting room floor. And somebody's going to know. Yeah, exactly. Gonna... Don't you find there's and always you're like hear about it. sort of finger looking for a bruise that's like, aha, you didn't do this. You're like, oh, I know, I... I'm sorry. <laughs> that I've gotten a lot better at this year, like just not giving a shit about, uh, like, that's you a know, good practice. about the nitpickers. Like there are just going to yeah. be people out there who like will find flaws in everything that I do. And as long as like I'm giving my best effort and like think I'm directionally yes. right, at some point you just can't can't care. Uh, what, you, question for you guys: Like, I think we're all sort of <laughs> recognizing that there is some emotional or mental health toll of this work. Um, like, ha- what have you guys found works for keeping your stamina up, keeping your sanity? Any 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 hacks that you? Uh, feel equipped to share so uh it's like a little bit of like a flex but i think you could totally switch to it too dave and i just don't do that much content and that totally helps 
Like, or, or at least we don't do that much of the like uniquely acquired thing. We don't, we do it 16 times a year. And like, we have to prepare a lot also for these guest interviews, for the specials, we have to prepare some for the LP interviews. But at the end of the day, like I, Packy, I'm looking at you specifically, like a Monday and a Thursday piece at the level of depth that you do them. How, what the hell? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Plus one. That is exactly what I was going to say too. I, and it's, it's great. Cause I, oh no, apparently Betty White. Just died. Just died. Um, yeah. No. What? I know. Ah, damn. Um, well, I guess 2022, not boring, goes out to, to Betty White. But um, oh. yeah, I, the Thursday ones actually end up being like a little easier for me to do because I know what I'm going to be writing about at least. Um, and I think that they're, if anything, I think that maybe like the one challenge about the Thursdays for me is that they make me want to do fewer like company specific deep dives on Mondays. Um, but otherwise, like, I think it's just nice going in and kind of knowing what the topic is going to be at least. And then like at least one thing is kind of ticked off the list there. It is a lot. And like I would imagine 2023, 2024, I don't write those this year. I already told myself like only two Thursday pieces a month and I'm already breaking that rule because like these are, like I said, these are stories that I want to tell. It's like not at some point, you know, about the money on those even. It's just like their portfolio companies or their companies that I've been like dying to dig into and if I get a chance to do it and they like have timing that, you know, needs to work out, then I just end up saying yes. And then I hate myself for it in the middle of whatever stretch of, you know, multiple of those <laughs> in a row that I have. But I don't know. At some point, I'll figure that out. One thing at a time. I'm trying to think of any other, other than these like structural changes, any other like mental health. I mean, one, one thing Mario is like, I, I do think picking your battles on what's going to be a flagship piece and what's going to be a really good piece that people will be glad they read, but it doesn't define your publication for the rest of your life. Like we realized halfway in that like the TSMC one, we were like, oh, this is going to be signature. Berkshire, this is going to be signature. I think we kind of knew going into doing the FTX one, we were like, this is going to be a really good interview. And like, I don't think it will be like when people think of acquired, they're synonymous with this thing. And and I picked the FTX one because that's one we did together and you know it the most intimately. But I think that's true of a lot of them. And at least for me, it's like there's two quality bars that one is making sure that everything is well above the bar of will people be glad that they spent the time to do this? Because I do think audio mm -hmm. in particular is a, a risk to ask people to spend their time doing that given it's hard to hard to quickly bounce they sort of have to they invest they, their commute or they don't um but the then then there's this other quality bar where if you can kind of feel it coming halfway into the research where you're like oh this is gonna mm -hmm. this has a chance of being one of our defining ones making sure that you're like you leave it all on the on the floor there all in the field all in the field uh, either way leave it somewhere <laughs> yeah 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 i like Only that i think that's a good way to think of it Sorry, dude. the other one I'd add to is just like, for me, a big thing has just been accepting that like, this is this is the field we're in, like, we're, you know, the we're in a creative medium field. And there are like, um, emotional aspects to our work that come with that. Uh, and th that actually was like a big thing for me to get over because it's so different than the first, you know, 13 years of my career, where it was like, mm -hmm. I have a job, it's like measurable on these things. It's, you know, performance oriented. It's not, uh, not that it wasn't emotional, I didn't care, but it didn't feel as like, 
it wasn't a creative uh, process. And I think just accepting like, oh no, this is different. Some of the things that we're gonna do are gonna fail. That's okay. <laughs> Some of the things mm -hmm. we're gonna do are gonna succeed far beyond like whatever we ever expected. Uh, and just being like, oh, okay, I'm okay with that. Has yeah, anyone watched uh, the, the Taylor Swift documentary, Miss Americana? I have not. Only there, 17 times. Really? No, I haven't watched it. <laughs> oh, it's really good. Yeah, I, this, you would all really enjoy it. It's, uh, uh, there, there's a few parts that are worth calling out here, but the, the one that like always sticks with me is she talks about how she built, and none of us are this extreme on any vector compared to Taylor Swift, but the, she talks about how she built basically her whole life from age seven of like being good being a force for good in the world and having people like her and having people give positive feedback on the things that she makes. And when the VMAs, that whole thing in 2009 for the first time happened with Kanye, uh, like that was the first time in her life she experienced a thing of like not feeling that positive external validation and how she had to like spend a long time like recreating her whole psyche in order to make it not about am I about to produce something that will create external validation for me and much more about the like intrinsic gratification of doing a thing she loved well, which are super different things. They're super connected, but I think they're super different things. That's, that's such a good point. Uh, hard to, so hard to do that. Uh, but, <laughs> much easier you know, said than done. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Uh, we should um, all just be like T-Swift. Don, we, uh, we usually went to the same Swift. beach town growing up, so she's a Stone Harbor oh, Avalon wow. person, David. That's right. So you're she kind of a celeb pack. Yeah, so what you're I'm saying is there's probably Taylor a song about So you're saying you dated Taylor Swift <laughs> when you were younger. Yeah. I'm saying that I... <laughs> Which one's about yes. Packy? <laughs> Speaking of, uh, this is a good preview. What, uh, what are we all excited about for our respective media properties in 2022? Uh, do you guys want to kick it off? I'm just bouncing it back to you. Yeah. Well, there may, we don't want to foreshadow uh, too much, but um, the <laughs> kind of like we talked about earlier, Acquired has been this series of like expanding the concentric circles of things that we cover, starting with tech acquisitions that went well and ending up at, you know, <laughs> wherever we are now. Uh, we're going to add a new concentric circle very well, soon. We're going to try. We're going to try. We, we, we are going to add one. It may work. It may not work. But What we're saying is we're more open to telling great stories that are loosely business stories in the format of Acquired. Uh, as long as we do the type of research we do, we craft the narrative we, we, the way we craft the narrative, we do the analysis. They, they don't all have to be Delaware C corps that become public companies. And I think we realize that like in doing Bitcoin, in doing Ethereum, it's like, okay, Web3 is interesting. But like, what if one day we went full Mario and we were like, let's do an acquired episode on a country? Or like, you know, you could imagine sort of crazier things than just, um, hey, this is this looks like a company, but kind of isn't because it exists on the blockchain. That's Color cool. me intrigued. So that's... Uh, it's an exploration we're doing. It'll always, I think it'll always be like from a business perspective. Right. Uh, but, um, but yeah, we want to experiment with telling slightly broader stories. 
can't wait for the acquired on France. <laughs> <laughs> that is one I am equipped to talk about. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Amazing. What about you guys? I like really, I gave myself these two weeks off to think and whatever. And then I got COVID and like, you know, along with everybody else, but my brain just kind of, you know, shut down on me for a week. So I've read a few different books, but not a ton of long-term planning. I mean, I think hopefully kind of more of the same. I already kind of know the first quarter's worth of sponsored deep dives at least. And I'm really excited about, uh, about those. Um, But then I also want to add more, you know, like more in like the hard, like the really hard problems category like more stuff more you know healthcare stuff all all of that like the you know i think web3 is has been so much fun to explore and will obviously be a key focus of what i continue to do but like what are those other kind of huge things that i think like you know i haven't spent nearly as much time on that i should be web4 web4 i will i will be very excited to read those i i also do not uh feel like I've spent much time on on things like healthcare or climate, but would uh, I, you will do it great justice, I'm sure. Um, see, I'm reading Ministry I'm, for the Future right now, which is really interesting. If you guys haven't read it, it's it's. Was it Kim Stanley Robinson? Mm-hmm. It's it's on a bookshelf, like right behind, right over there. Um, maybe Take it up and read. It's it's it. it's interesting. There's like a few different kind of stories and things and ways that different chapters are written, all getting woven together. But I think ultimately, it's just like. I'm halfway through, but it sounds like their plan is a some something like Klima, like a you know, carbon-backed mm-hmm. currency. Uh, but what, we will see. What is Klima? Klima, Klimadao. I was trying to look at the website, and it's it seems really difficult to figure out like what. But this is it this is. is me and everything in Web three. I look at a website, and I'm like, shoot, I don't get it. Am I dumb, or is this esoteric? And the answer is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, certainly you're dumb, but. Uh, no. <laughs> you have now a, a corpus of work to suggest that that's not the case. Um, so what is Klima? Klima essentially is like a black hole for carbon credits, like or for carbon offsets. What they want to do is be able to just suck in as many kind of two th- 2008 and beyond uh, Vera certified carbon credits and by doing so drive up the price of carbon credits. Like they just but it's a, it's an ohm fork so if you're familiar with ohm uh they essentially like they're trying to build a currency that's backed by instead of a basket of different cryptocurrencies and, and stable coins like ohm they're one of the forks that's trying to do that exact same thing but with carbon offsets and there's a million challenges with it not all carbon offsets are created equal and all sorts of things but the idea would be you buy a carbon credit you put it into the pot, you get your Klima at a slight discount because you've bonded your BCT. And then you uh, then you can stake at one of the like ohm fork ridiculous APYs. I think it's currently probably like 30,000% APY because they just kind of inflate the, you know, the supply over time. But hmm. ideally where this goes is that they can suck in more different types of carbon offsets. And in the future, you know, it, it just gets way more expensive to pollute because they're artificially driving up the price of huh. all of these offsets. That's super interesting. Wow. So you have to be a big player in the market to actually move, move price like that. But presumably, you know, yeah. And there's like early signs that they have been, and this is, you know, the voluntary market and not the government. So it's a smaller market, but they are, they have already kind of made a dent in terms of, you know, it's millions and millions of tons uh, worth of 
offsets already purchased. So it's like kind Raph of like Macquarie did or something put together something where it's like the normal kind of offsets purchased. And then October when climate launch, it just like shoots straight up. So there is, you know, in that piece of the market, uh, they're having some sort of an impact. So it's kind of like what the Fed is doing to the U.S. economy. They're trying to do to the carbon credit economy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> huh. Uh, all right, David, what else we have on our little uh, agenda? Wait, we got we to hear from yeah, Mario. Yeah, what's Mario said for? Uh, I, I think I've sort of previewed the big things, uh, some new Fox stuff coming in January. So all will be revealed, uh, shortly on the sort of roadmap for, for that, which is going to be fun. And then, um, again, some things around the community that are being formalized that I'm excited by. And then content wise, there are a few pieces that, um, are in the works that I'm like really looking forward to, um, one on sort of like an internet OG, uh, where hopefully I'm going to get some some really interesting access uh, to tell that story at a, Ooh, at a level of depth I haven't haven't color seen. Color me intrigued. And, <laughs> and then similarly, uh, I'm working on a trilogy uh, in the crypto space uh, that I think is going to be also really cool. Um, so those two are, are cooking uh, and. I, I'm not sure when they'll come out, but uh, I really want to do more of the trilogy pieces when I find a compelling subject, just because I, I do think it's like a really fun way to tell the story and like pseudo write the book um, in, yeah, in a definitive way. Um, and then beyond that, like, I'm sure I'll do um, Web 2 stuff, Web 3 stuff. I would love to spend more time on frontier emerging market stuff. Uh, that's always been like an interest and I did a decent amount of Latin America last year, but would like to yeah. do sort of more there, more sea and more Africa. Um, just cause I think that's like very fascinating. Yeah, man. I bought Bridgetown two holdings after, uh, one of our idea <laughs> dinners. I think that might've been your, your pick. That was right. Oh my Which, gosh. Is it back? I don't think so. Uh, this was like the Peter Thiel Southeast Asia spec. Yeah, it looked like it might be Tokopedia, but you know that obviously didn't happen. Um, that was a yeah, that was the target that like was looming at the time. <laughs> Interesting. We'll uh, see what happens. Can you believe Spac Mania was this year? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh wow. oh, here we go. It it, it despacked into Property Guru. Which oh, that's right. It was announced anyway. Thailand being in Indonesia. Okay, yes. Wow, fascinating. I totally missed that story. Interesting. Well, maybe to wrap up, we had a bunch of other stuff on the agenda, but I think we've actually hit on a lot of it. Um, maybe let's do best investment for each of us. Best performing investment of 2021. Again, not investment advice for anybody, but I think this is fun. This was fun for me to look back on oh okay uh, well we're all gonna have the same one i know <laughs> all right no? I mean, likely <laughs> okay so i was gonna say a, a very good investment for me was roblox um which in part was getting lucky on the volatility but you know whatever uh but then i was like oh wait a minute nope solana mm, like yeah. how, <laughs> raise That's your hand a... if yours isn't solana 
no hands going up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Minus oh, nine. Oh. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Well, okay. So, Packy, you go last. I'll do real quick. Um, I thought mine was going to be kindergarten's investment in brain trust, uh, mm. which um, it was for most of the year, <laughs> but here at the end of the year, as brain trust has declined a little bit and Solana has gone up, Solana has surpassed it. I think I missed, you know, some of the truly jaw-dropping Solana games, but thankfully I, I bought in uh, when Packy's piece went out. So thanks, Packy. Uh, still had a nice thanks for the alpha. Uh, <laughs> you know, Ethereum just like continuing to DCA and you know build that position over the past few years. This obviously was a good year for that. And then Terra, uh, Terra has had a sexually oh. a wild second half um, that. I don't know which between like Terra and Solana, like I'm up more on just like, I haven't taken a close look, but I'm sure it's one of those two basically. Mario, I did a bunch of research after being inspired by your piece and, and, um, and bought a bunch around that period too. So thank you. Let's go. I love it. This is, this is what <laughs> it's all about guys. Friends giving friends alpha. So for me, you know, there's a few different that it could have been. Uh, Axie actually did really well, particularly if you staked your Axie at like 130%. Um, so that one was probably somewhere around, I don't know where it is today, but at its peak, probably a 10x on the original investment. When I wrote the interface phase, I I just bought like a little bit of all of the metaverse, kind of like decentralized metaverse tokens. So like nice. the uh, sand, mana, uh, the Somnium Cube, those shot up when Facebook did its meta thing. So those were like 10Xs, but on very, very small amounts. Uh, but the winner is a, actually not an investment, but a contribution. Um, and not boring capital's contribution to uh, Constitution Dow ended up being uh, the best investment of the year so far. So uh, have taken Is that because of the people token? How, how did that mm -hmm. work? Yeah, so the interesting thing about Web3 is that anybody can start a liquidity pool. So we lost, but people had their people tokens. And so somebody started a liquidity pool on Uniswap, started trading. And you know now it's been picked up by pretty much every exchange outside of Coinbase. Uh, so it's on Binance. It's on you know a few other kind of like weirder exchanges. So waiting, waiting for Coinbase there, but took you know a bunch off the table so that my uh lps didn't murder me for for investing in that uh and then i still thank have you yeah yeah if we get to a dollar we return the fund which would be just absolutely unbelievable wow, wow. That, that is, is the most 2021 thing i know possible that is so on the nose <laughs> we're not going to get to a dollar but it like a boy can dream i love it wow can can we do a little lightning round of like I had one topic I wanted to discuss with you guys in the style of the original idea dinner like an a, investment idea or at least like help me understand why this thing is this price let's play that game so uh, after doing our FTX episode and better understanding the way that crypto exchanges work I was looking at um, uh, Coinbase's stock and I set up a little template in Coifin which is like a very cool uh has a great free tier to be able to do some just basic analysis of, of stocks and so coinbase has had this big decline recently but also the fundamentals have improved dramatically recently which 
leads to some charts looking really crazy. One of which is it used to trade at a price to sales. This is last 12 months sales, so last 12 months revenue of like 50x and has taken this huge plunge based on A, making more money and B, the stock price falling apart, where it's now on a price to sales basis below Microsoft and almost down to Facebook. So like if you think about the like fang companies or the big tech companies being sort of like reasonable but sort of like low multiples at this point like it's it's coinbase has fallen from like stratospheric into like less than microsoft and then when you look at their growth you know you look at like uh, the on the annual growth rate facebook is growing at 40 percent microsoft's growing at 20 percent this is top line numbers amazon at 30 percent Coinbase is growing at 626%. So it's like a growth monster when you look at their uh, net income margin. Wow. So you look at, again, you look at like Google's net income margin of 30%, Facebook at 35 Microsoft at 38 Coinbase is higher than all of those at 50% net income margins. So it's the best net income. It's growing way faster on a revenue basis than any of those and the stock is falling off a cliff. I was trying to figure out, like, is this just crypto risk? Like, do people view, look, it's a crypto exchange, so hard to give it 30 years in the future of, uh, you know, let's just give it a few years in the future. Or th- the other thing that I was trying to think of is, like, maybe investors are just braced for incredible margin compression in crypto exchanges mm-hmm. as as it becomes more competitive and coinbase becomes less of a you know they they, they kind of were first to market and enjoy some really healthy benefits from that but does anyone else have other theories on why this thing's not valued five or ten x higher i would love to see what their revenue is today like december 31st 2021 mm-hmm. just for this single day because wash trading is still cool in crypto I think anybody who has a loss on anything is selling and buying back in and paying. I paid hundreds of dollars to Coinbase earlier today, and I would imagine a bunch of other people have as well. Um, that's not a bear case. That is a interesting. That is a bull case. I, I actually kind of think, you know, I, I'm less worried about competition than I would have been before. I was a slightly skeptical on Coinbase before because of that reason, because there are more exchanges and uh more more dexes that will you know ultimately win out because they're actually decentralized i think just being the really easy on-ramp is a really great position to be in um so i don't know i'm I'm more bullish than i was in the middle of the year on on coinbase yeah i'd say the same i feel like they've shown uh a desire to be more progressive on product than i expected at the ipo like it felt like it was a really sluggish product organization at the time. And so it was kind of like, man, they're going to get lapped by FTX. They're going to, you know, lose share to all these DEXs. And then just like with the <laughs> single emergence of the NFT exchange, you were like, oh, they're like not going to, you know, go quietly into this good night. And, and they're uh, also, you know, they're, sorry, yeah, yeah, they're like, they're also Tencent like uh, in, you know, like they have a right. portfolio of pretty much yes. any crypto company, you know, worth salt out there. Coinbase Ventures has put money into. Um, and so I would imagine that the portfolio is worth a shitload of money. And it's, I think, I believe it's just all off balance sheet. All right. So, flash it's- survey among the four of us who I would say to varying degrees are all 
on very sophisticated to on the bleeding edge of crypto investing and adoption out there. Do any of us not use Coinbase meaningfully? No, I use it a bunch. Me too. Yeah. I think I think that's your answer right there. There we go. There we go. Well, what is your dex of choice, guys? Uniswap. 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 Okay, I'm sushi. You're sushi, yeah. Sushi, yeah. <laughs> sushi has been, I, I've been, I tweeted about it the other day. Like the insufficient liquidity thing just kind of pops up even when it's not true and it's a really sluggish front end. I, I've not had the best sushi swap experience. I'm, I'm trading such small amounts, Packy, that, you know, it doesn't well, no, no, I mean, like, I'm not actually, to be clear, breaking their liquidity. Like it is, I could put like <laughs> 0.01 something in and it would just say that it was broken. So it's, really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. I I haven't had that happen to me, but yeah, I should probably play around with Uniswap more than I have, to be honest. I, I have had such a confusing and expensive experience with DEXs, uh, at least in the Ethereum world, that I basically, I have opened centralized exchange accounts at like every centralized exchange that is legal in the US. Because like, if I can get something on a centralized exchange, that's a way better experience and way cheaper in most cases than finagling my way to buy some ETH, flip it over, and then trade it on a decentralized exchange. A million percent. I know I'm like not a true crypto, like I'm not cool for doing that, but like it's just as long as, it's, as, long as you buy it somewhere so that you as long as you don't buy it on Robinhood or somewhere where you can't actually like transfer right. it and do anything with it, then right. I don't think that matters. Right. By the way, the other bull case on on Coinbase is exactly this topic of like it's a freaking centralized company. Like they're in a position to do what Facebook did to the internet to to crypto. Like if you think about this ETH2 transition, like I'm pretty sure Coinbase plus one other party is going to sufficiently control the ETH2 majority. So like mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm sure I'm, this is not novel, is but I just put two and two. Yeah, this is why Jack is going to war here. <laughs> it's about Coinbase. <laughs> uh, it's got to be about ooh. block versus Coinbase. Interesting, yeah. And particularly targeting Andreessen. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Games uh, within games. Indeed. Should no, we? But, um, no, I think Jack. It made it pretty clear from his tweets that he's pure of motive and incentive, so it couldn't it couldn't be that. <laughs> You're Jack right. is an angel from on high. Yeah. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I, as a Twitter shareholder, I can tell you the guy is not shit Twitter. about profits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, we all thought this was going to be a bigger year for Twitter than it was. I feel like. Yeah, Packy, are you still a big Twitter bull? Uh, I am currently. Uh, harvesting those Twitter losses, but we'll be back in, in the beginning of 2022. <laughs> he's uh, he's he's taken about 31 days as a bear here. Yeah, I'll take a, a short bear period. Hopefully, I'm sure they're going to rip now while I'm on the sidelines. But <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I I I'm still like I I remain at you know a total addict. I think most of us you know have Twitter to thank for a lot of uh, our business. Uh, but, but just beyond that, so much of the conversation of the discourse still happens there. I can't believe they've done such a poor job monetizing it. Is it actually that poor? I haven't actually looked at revenue numbers there for a while. Or is They're, it just that the narrative is that it's poor? No, it's both. They're, I think, at like 
5% maybe of Facebook's monetization or Facebook's revenue, somewhere in that range. Mm. I mean, Facebook's a behemoth, but Facebook also doesn't monetize, you know, WhatsApp and there's more that Facebook could be doing as well. Um, yeah, I think it's like 5% of Facebook's revenue, somewhere around there. Do we have time to do a like round the horn, like quick favorite products or apps? Because I know yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Let's and do it. Like, Let's do a lightning round, uh, lightning, yeah. lightning round carve outs for best of 2021. We don't need to go through every category, but uh, everybody pick one every, to start. Pick, pick one and then we can keep going and afterwards and just do favorites. Book. Go for it. Okay. Um, my favorite book was Ador Ardor by Nabokov, or Nabokov, as apparently it's more correctly pronounced. Uh, really long and uh, intricate, but very interesting discussion of time and always beautiful writing. So I, it took me ages to finish, but I really enjoyed it. I did not, I've not heard of that. Is, uh, you wrote Lolita, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Lolita and Hailfire are sort of like. Mm -hmm. I've only read Lolita. I got to add that to my to my list. It's a good one. It's a slog, but a good one. Uh, all right, sticking with books, I've talked about this both of these a lot on acquired, but uh, actually, I've got a few few books out there on here. Um, anything by Arthur C. Clarke, who I discovered this year, huh. so good, classic, old school sci-fi. Uh, Childhood's End, I think, is my favorite, but you can't go wrong. He wrote two thousand one, and then a bunch of sequels to that, which I didn't realize. He and Kubrick collaborated and wrote the, the screenplay for the movie for 2001 together. And then he was writing the novel kind of simultaneously with that. No it was way. like all a, it wasn't like it was a book before a movie oh. or a movie before a book. It was, it was a deeply collaborative project, which uh, huh. the movie never made any sense to me. And then I read the book like, Oh, this makes so much more sense. Like, I understand what is going on here. I kept. I watched um, 2001: The Movie pretty recently in the last year, and I cannot believe that that was created in 1968. I mean, the visuals Crazy. are stun. Like it. I I know they took on easier challenges than Star Wars took on, but it looks 10 to 20 years after Star Wars, which it was actually nine years, but 11 years before Star Wars. Wow, I love how you have that Star Wars date just lock and loaded in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I was right the first time, nine years. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you got 71 or 77, 81, 83. Yeah. Too, too oh, much Star God. Wars. But yeah, like it, to, uh, uh, Kubrick and, uh, and Arthur C. Clarke, like from a filmmaking perspective, were just decades ahead. Decades ahead. Um, Kubrick, CAA client, Michael Ovitz client. Uh, Let's see what else in books. I've got uh, The Expanse that I've talked about a ton. Cannot recommend highly enough for recent stuff. Uh, last book in the series just came out. Thought it was a great way to end it. And then um, fun one. I got so many parenting book recommendations, but the one that stuck with me and uh, I think is good that like is just so fun is Michael Lewis's book, Home Game, uh, about his... Wow experiences in early fatherhood and like there's no you know advice it's a michael lewis book like it's not like this is how you're going to get your kid to sleep through the night by 12 weeks like you know it's uh uh it's just really heartwarming and and like lovely uh highly recommend that that was a great one i read that one too uh, all right i got a book uh i just read this on vacation on my 10 year old kindle 
which is it's still a great device. Uh, the book is Project Hail Mary. Other folks read it. Awesome. So Andy Weir. Andy Weir, yeah, it's his latest. Yeah. Same author as the The Martian. I think this is probably the best fiction I've ever read. Certainly read in the last five years, and was such a good reminder to me to go read fiction. Like I keep reading these like business books and business like. I basically have been on the hunt for shoe dog or something like it ever since reading <laughs> shoe dog. And I've found like a dozen and this is a good way of shaking me out of that very specific. I wouldn't call it a rut because I really enjoy them. And I think they're, they teach a lot of good lessons, but um, yeah, it's such a well-told story and it makes me look to try and apply science everywhere because Andy Weir does such a good job of like, making every plot point about how the protagonist scienced their way to figure it out. You know what's cool about Andy Weir is if I'm not wrong, he wrote The Martian in like newsletter format. Like he would post sections and get feedback from audience. Yeah, which is so cool. I really want to write a book like that someday. I think it's such a cool idea. And then he got a book deal and then pulled in an editor and sort of rewrote the whole thing with the editor to be more of a novel format to, to then publish it. And I think when he was writing it, he was actively employed as a software engineer. Mm. Interesting. Dude, Meyer, you should totally do that with The Generalist. It would be fun, right? Oh, I mean, man. maybe like chapter two of The Generalist at some point when I allow myself to, you know, There's share such more, a good novel to fiction. be written about like tech culture 100%. like from like DC an insider culture. who like understands like not like a not like a new york not Times journalist is gonna go right yeah, <laughs> not the yeah exactly. I, I got halfway through like, the circle and i just gave up brutal. On it. It was terrible. yeah it was so like bad. secession for vc yes. would be i, would, I, would, I mean oh that's God. a very you could high crush bar this. but that would be that would be the best. That was my favorite show of the year for forever. Bebo, oh, me too. So good. Oh, it's, yeah. it's just unreal. It's so good. They're, Jesse Armstrong as a writer is like just elite. He's like as funny as Armando Yanucci, like does Shakespearean low points and has like Sorkin snappy dialogue, but not corny. You know, it's like, it's really, he's so impressive. Do, do you follow uh, No Context Succession on Twitter? No, but I'm going to now. What, is it really good? It's incredible. It's just screenshots with the dialogue, look at the closed captions enabled, and it's it's just like you get Tom's one-liners or Greg's one-liners, and like oh, they just—it's a wonderful treat to see in your Twitter feed two or three times a day. Did you guys ever watch Peep Show? No. It's Armstrong's like most famous show pre-secession. Um, and it's like a British comedy that like won a bunch of awards as best British comedy for several years. It ran for like nine seasons, but I watched that like, uh, I guess when I was younger and always thought it was like maybe the funniest show I'd ever seen. And so now when you watch the session, you're like, oh man, he's like doing the same kind of jokes, but like in an American voice and in this like high drama style is very interesting. Huh? All right. On the list packy book oh man all right so i think we're we're doing a lot of sci-fi i'm gonna stick with that uh and i'm gonna do a memory called empire and a desolation called peace two books by uh arcady martin um i don't know i've just I, I pretty much only you know i've gone i think from reading a lot of nonfiction to mostly fiction and mostly specifically sci-fi this year um so i would say that those two 
trying to see if there's anything else looking through the old Kindle. I'm on a 113 day reading streak, and not to brag, but according to my Kindle, broke my previous record. Becky, uh, while you're looking, I just finished uh, here on vacation the Airbnb a um, tour through Rabbits, which I greatly enjoyed. I thought it was a fun romp. It didn't quite live up to like Ready Player One status for me, but uh, Pack, what, you what do you think? Have you finished right? it yet? Yeah. It's, yeah, I finished it. It's, I mean, like the, the comparison that, that the person made was Ready Player One meets Haruhi Murakami, and Murakami is my favorite author of all time. Uh, so it, it did not meet that bar for me, but certainly a fun, like I couldn't put it down kind of read. Yeah, totally. Page turn. Ready Page turn. Player One is pretty bad. Do we agree yes. with that? Yeah. It's just popcorn. It just, yeah, it's popcorn. Yeah. Just terrible. But, but it was, it's, it, um, it's popcorn, but it, like, I feel like it kind of like presaged like, uh, you know, and it, it was like, it kicked off a zeitgeist. I don't yes. think Rabbits is going to do the same. No. Like, it's very good and a page turner, but. It's I, like how. I agree with that. It's a, have you heard of the term in the music industry, a bop? Like it's a bop yeah, of it's a, bop. a sci-fi yeah. novel. Totally. Yes, it is totally. It's like could be written by an algorithm. <laughs> oh! <laughs> that is shade coming from a, a fiction writer if I've ever heard one. <laughs> to be fair, I, I am not a fiction writer compared to Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein has like obviously been way, you know, has actually published it. So you know, I, it is purely from a reader's perspective. But I did, I did not think it was was not my favorite book by a long shot. To be fair, that was very, very, very good compared to Ready Player Two. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't even touched that. I haven't yeah. heard of that. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, well, uh, favorite right, any... product, guys. Uh, my 16-inch MacBook is the finest product I've ever owned. It's unbelievable. It's just, it's just um, absolutely incredible. Ooh, is it worth yeah. upgrading from an M1 Air? It serves a different purpose. So I have stopped thinking about this device as a laptop in the same way that I thought about all the 13 inches I had before this as a laptop. This is like an aircraft carrier, but it's an aircraft carrier. Like it's a complete home desktop setup that I can fit in my largest backpack. And so like, it's great if you're planning on working remotely a lot, or it's great if you want to be able to like do spreadsheets on vacation or in coffee shops where you're like, I'm not going to be at my big monitor for a while or something like that. But it is a totally different device than like a 13 inch air. Yeah. But it's amazing. It's fast. The screen's unbelievable. So fast. Battery. I, I think I went through 50% of the battery on a flight from Lisbon to Seattle. So. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> that is I have nice. the force. I'm literally looking now at my, 14 inch new MacBook M1, my Pro whatever iPhone and my iPad, and talking shit on Apple on Twitter that they won't be in the top 10. I stand by that take and they write, <laughs> write it up at some point, but they make a hell of a good product. It's, yeah, it's hard to argue against. I guess mine, I'll go a slightly different direction. Mine has just, I think, been MetaMask this year. Um, you know, or Rainbow, just like kind of the idea of having a wallet that you can go log into a bunch of different things and just play around with and bring inventory with you, I think is very, very cool mm -hmm. right now. And it's like, you know, open up a whole different side of the internet uh, this year. But I think we'll get increasingly compelling over the next year or so as people build kind of more experiences for the fact that you're showing up to their site with 
an inventory. Yeah, I, like I love that take. That's a good uh, that, was, that that was... that and it's basically OAuth, but without needing to trust Facebook or Google with with yeah. holding the keys to all of your kingdoms. Yes, I was going to shout out uh, Phantom for that reason too. Mm-hmm. I think Phantom is like a beautiful product and really good. I'm a big fan of Rainbow too. Um, the other ones that I had on my list were uh, Pathy. Have you ever been to a Blank Street in New York? One just opened up uh, across the street. I know those guys. They're great. They had a real estate like kind of fund guys. before, and then they just yeah. decided to start Blank Street. Yeah. So like, I I go now every day. I'm in Brooklyn like at least once a day. Isam is like one of my favorite people. So you know, part of it is very self motivated. But I also just think it's a really good product. What, okay. Wait. What What is this? I haven't heard. Oh, of sorry. Them. It's like um small format coffee shop. So it's trying to be like Luckin for the U.S. minus fraud. Um, (laughs) which um which i think is a good playbook and um i mean these guys are so deep in the economics of coffee shop stuff and real estate um yeah and the way they started was with um basically like coffee carts which are you know something you see in new york kind of a lot um but they have these really beautiful sort of uh i don't know not mint green sage green trucks that um you can order ahead via the app which is very nice and just like go pick it up and the coffee is really good it's like as a result at least a dollar to two dollars cheaper than like every other new york uh, third wave style coffee shop and yeah like rapid so i like go every day and i'm I'm biased but a bit of a super fan um so is it one of spaces or still just trucks both they do both cool I would go a lot more if it weren't for my actual favorite non-tech product of 2021, Cometeer Coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk to your own book. It, it. Oh my God, you do. You should go to cometeer.com slash get 50% <laughs> off your first box. I will say, I All don't right. think I've All ever right. seen a more me. effective, like I've seen a lot of people on Twitter say like, I've bought Cometeer. And then the second sentence is, because I read about it on Not Boring. Yeah. Like it, it, it's like, I, you know, you know the numbers or maybe you don't and they know the numbers, but like, this has to be a wildly successful sponsorship sponsorship for them. This worked. There were a bunch of them this year. I don't know if you saw the uh, Will Manitas tweet, which was my favorite oh, of all time so cool. on the success of the uh, Science IO one. So there were a bunch that were up there, I think, this year on the sponsor deep dive front. But certainly for a consumer product, this one takes the cake by by far. Um, it's just really good. Like, I, I, you know, there's not many things, not many products that you can recommend that then like everybody comes back and is like, this is fucking awesome. And then spreads <laughs> themselves. Like not one person. I, I think this is true. The whole time has replied and said like, yeah, it was okay. Like everybody was like, this wow. is awesome. Huh? What well, was it when you guys were chatting about doing something together? How did that like, like we, uh, like we, uh, Nord, uh, you know, VPN is one of our one of our sponsors that acquired. Like that's sort of a consumer product, but like it was more about telling their story as a company and hiring. And it, like, how did that conversation go for you? Like, it's always been in my mind that consumer products would not work on stuff like us. Like we're not, <laughs> but clearly this has worked for you. This is a high uh, high AOV consumer product, which I think is important has enough of a tech story to it and it's one of those things like excel where like nobody in the whole audience doesn't love coffee uh and so i think mm-hmm. that that's a really important piece but the it came about austin reef uh the morning brew 
was investing and told me, uh, it, it was like, I, I'm doing this thing. Here's the valuation. It sounds crazy. Please just go meet these guys. And so I talked to them and I was like, oh my God, I need to invest right about during all, kind of all of the above this, this product. Uh, and so, you know, just decided to do the normal kind of operate treatment, tell their story, talk about the business model, uh, and then a little bit about, you know, the product, but I'm not a coffee reviewer. So that wasn't, you know, kind of the thrust of the thing, but I think it was just people kind of being aware of the fact that this thing existed where literally it just takes me two seconds to make a cup of coffee in the morning. Cause I just run it under hot water and dump it in a cup. Uh, and so I think the kind of quality combined with the ease just resonated, but I, I was not expecting it to go as well as it did. Huh? Oh, I just ordered some. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you my review. Uh, Can't wait to hear. Can I shout out one other product that I just started using in the past few days? I don't have any affiliation with it. I just think it's really good. Craft uh, Docs. Oh, what? Is, uh, I don't know. This. What is it? It's like a Notion competitor, but it's just very fast, very elegant, really mm. pleasant to use, um, and. I just have been playing around with it over the past few days, and I think it'll be the place that I like store Ooh. the more evergreen pieces of uh, the generalist sort of inner workings. Uh, shareable, nice. It's amazing that people still have the balls to launch new note-taking apps. Yeah, totally. Well, it's like so. My, my the way I started my like developer career was by building a to do two to do list apps for the iPhone when it first came out. And uh, the I realized like the cool thing about to do list apps, and I think note taking apps are exactly the same way. Is there's a super fragmented set of needs, and everybody has their own opinion on like how the perfect one should work. And so yeah, there's just yeah. like lots of opportunity to make one that like there will never be winner take all dynamics in to do lists or note taking apps. That's a good point. Totally. I'll go quick. My product uh, is AngelList. Uh, we talked oh. about this a bunch on um, the Not Boring episode with Packy, but like, I can't, like, uh, literally, I have no, I am just a customer of theirs. There's no other affiliation, but um, uh, like, it's unbelievable. Like, I, we, we would not, Nat and I would not be able to do kindergarten without it. And like, the level, just like for us personally, of like, being able to run a venture fund, like a professionally run venture fund on the same order of like you know, Madrona and all the other great places like I had done in the past with no opera, you know, no full-time staff doing it with Nat and I both having other full-time occupations, like is a complete game changer. I mean, the deal, and we don't need to go into specifics on it, but the deal that we just lasted, I think just shows what you can do in venture in, the year of our Lord, 2021, it was like the fastest transaction of all time. And totally. Like it's, uh, uh, and that's just one example. Like we've done many together and, um, yeah. you know, we, I think we did, Nat and I were just going over this. I think we made 37 investments in this month. We're not, we're not at a year level. <laughs> we made 37 investments in six months. I don't think I had made 37 investments in my entire, you know, 12 year venture career wow. <laughs> before that. Uh, yeah. So it's amazing. It's great. I think this quarter is going to be like 50. <laughs> you're just, as always, you're in your own league. <laughs> I mean, who knows if that's good or bad or what, but I mean, it, without AngelList, that is 
I mean, maybe you can do like three, you know, like it's well, just it's good and bad, but it didn't like the thing about venture, like, and God, we've been talking on this about this on acquired for years. You guys talk about it too. It's like, it's about the wins. All that matters are the wins. <laughs> Nothing else matters. And how do you get more wins? Like you could either be really, really great at picking, which, you know, some people are, and that's why Sequoia exists and Andreessen and the like, um, or you could invest in 50 companies a quarter. <laughs> I know, and it's weird. I, I, again, I keep looking back. Not that you're at not the, great at picking, too, Packy. Of course, incredible picking. But I keep looking back at the at the list of companies, and I do this like every quarter. I go back in the list. I'm like, are there things on here that like I'm just doing because I want to, you know, because I invest in a lot of stuff, and I really feel really good about a lot of these companies. Like I, I also think that it is true, and I think Balaji put this in his most recent post on Mirror Table that like there are just way more good companies being built and so many fewer entrepreneurs making like it feels like just the level just kind of raises every year where like there's a certain set of mistakes that the previous generation of entrepreneurs made that like you just no longer make or like a certain level of things that like mm -hmm. the best entrepreneurs knew that now everybody knows and like I, I do think that that bar just kind of continues to raise obviously markets are much bigger and global and all of that but I, it's a wild i'm really excited to see kind of five years down the line what happens in terms of like liquidity for all of these and all, all of that. But I really do think there's a lot of great companies being built right now. Well, on that, feels like a good place to end the year. It does. a great place to end the year. I'm pumped and for great companies and great stories to come. <laughs> Guys, well, awesome becoming friends with, you know, we, we all knew each yes. other a little bit before, but I mean, amazing so getting true. to become closer friends. That, with is, that is one of the best things. This, this has been uh, so cool. Like, uh, I mean, you guys live next to each other in Brooklyn, but um, we all live around the country. And uh, we got to do uh, something so together cool. in person. Let's figure it out. We'll do, we'll do we some really kind of like multi. I mean, we all have these, uh, what is it? These acronyms, ACQNB, G tg whatever but so, some yeah. kind of summit or something i would uh, would be super fun an idea dinner an idea dinner yeah an yeah. idea weekend that would be awesome yeah oh, that, that would be so a lot cool. of fun oh, that'd be great also we don't even have to i mean we should we should try and work towards a summit i love that idea but we also should just do something in person as friends yeah Yes. Nope. Strictly, strictly summits <laughs> with the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's only in this if it's uh, if it's going. You guys, you guys wouldn't drink with me today, so all all friendships are off. That's uh, true. I'm saving it for in person, though. Great. All right, everyone, have a great New Year's Eve. Happy 2022. Happy 2022. Thanks, everyone, for for joining us today. Happy Thank New Year. You guys.